This is Crescent Project Radio, bringing you powerful testimony, practical teaching, and exciting truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. Our goal is to see every Muslim have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be connected to a true follower of Jesus. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Have a comment or question? Email them to radio at crescentproject.org. We would love to hear from you and have a chance to respond on a future program. Hi, I'm Rashida, and you're listening to Crescent Project Radio, where we believe we have a hope worth sharing. Today, my guest is Pia, the founder and president of the Lighthouse School of Leadership in the Philippines. Pia is a retired high school history teacher and a volunteer with Embassy, Crescent Project's digital outreach ministry, and her family's story and the purpose behind her school will teach us a lot about Islam and terrorism in Southeast Asia, as well as what it really looks like to build bridges between Muslims and Christians. Pia, welcome to Crescent Project Radio. Good afternoon, Rashida. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's, it's a great honor for me to be here. Uh, thank you for being here. So, Pia, your story actually starts with your grandfather's story um, back in the 1930s. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your grandfather's journey? Absolutely. So, my grandfather's name was Vicente Alagar, and he was a first lieutenant in the Philippine military at that time. And he was assigned to an island called Holo. And this is an island that was predominantly Muslim. It still is, by the way. Hmm. And unbeknownst to many, there were actually Muslim terrorists at that time living on the island. And it was my grandfather's uh, part of his assignment to try to bring peace between the military and the terrorists. So he was on a peacekeeping mission, and he was halfway to his destination to meet with a group of sultans or leaders. And halfway there, he was ambushed. And uh, there was um, the chief, you know, the chief sultan who met him Mm -hmm. on the road. And he said, you and your men need to drop your guns. Because at that time, he was traveling with um, 11 other soldiers. So Mm -hmm. because he was intent on bringing peace, um, and he really was interested in having diplomatic relations with these sultan leaders, he decided you know, it was a gamble, but he decided to drop his weapons. And so he told his men, okay, let's all just like put our guns down. And meanwhile, uh, the Muslim terrorists, all they had were spears and, you know, uh, bolo, that's like a sharp knife. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they didn't have any guns. But again, you know, because he was intent on bringing peace to the island, he ordered his men to put uh, put their guns down. And as soon as that happened, uh, a spear went right through my grandfather's heart. 
And immediately all these spears came, mm. you know, raining down on these men. I mean, they were defenseless. Mm. And uh, they sent my grandfather's head to, you know, his superiors. And basically it was a clear message. We don't want peace. You know, mm. this, this is war. So, yeah, that is, that is a tragic story of my grandfather's uh, brutal murder along with all those men. And that is why my mother, who was just a baby back then, um, she grew up without a father. Hmm. Well, well, that's a really hard story. Um, You know, when many of us think about the Philippines, we don't think about Islam or terrorists, especially not in the 1930s. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about... uh, the history of the Philippines and the religious landscape as well. Yeah. So it's too bad that we're on radio and I can't show you a map. (laughs) I mean, I could show you Rashida, but your, your audience can't see a map, but if they were to look at the map of Southeast Asia, they will see that the Philippines is right next to Malaysia, Indonesia, you know, Singapore, uh, all these countries mm-hmm. that have um, a predominantly Muslim population. Mm-hmm. And um, the island of Holo, where my grandfather was murdered, and the big island of Mindanao, which is the southernmost island of the Philippines, um, has always been populated by Muslims. And again, that's because. These are the islands that are closest to those nations. Okay. So, yeah, so we're talking centuries, right? Centuries of um, migration from these islands in Southeast Asia. So uh, just quick history of the Philippines. Um, back in the 1600s, you know, Spaniards came and they basically colonized the Philippines. We are the only nation in Asia that was colonized by Spain. So mm-hmm. that's why you're going to meet Filipinos who look Malaysian, <laughs> who look uh, Southeast Asian, but we have Spanish last names <laughs> yeah. like Cruz or Santos or, you know, and people like scratch their heads if they don't know their world history. Um, and it again, it's because we were conquered for 300 plus years by the Spaniards. Now, how does that relate to the Muslims? Well, the Malay race, which is uh, the race of the Muslims in Southeast Asia, they are a fierce race. I am actually a descendant of the Malay race myself. So my, okay. my mother, my mother's line. Um, we have Malay in us. So it's a fierce race. You know, they were not willing to bow down to the Spaniards. So the Muslims fought like crazy. So the one island that was never really conquered by the Spaniards was that big island of Mindanao and that island of Holo. And so... You know, in in the one sense, you have to commend 
these Muslims, you know, for fighting for their land, fighting for their people, fighting mm-hmm. for their religion. They were not going to allow themselves to be forcibly Christianized. And um, so to this day, they proudly have that distinction. You know, they, they are a people group in the Philippines that have stayed Muslim. Really, I don't know, I'm going to say maybe a thousand, a thousand years. Again, because they fought, you know, tooth and nail to keep their identity as Filipino Muslims. Whereas the rest of the Filipinos became Christianized. They became Roman Catholic, which is why Mm -hmm. most people, when they think of the Philippines, they think, oh, yeah, that's a largely Catholic nation, which it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was just looking at the statistics. And at least in Mindanao, we have 6 million Muslims and counting still living Mm, in that island. Absolutely, it's a lot. And it is one of the largest unreached people groups in the world. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for that. And um, can you talk a little bit more about how your grandfather's story impacted your mother's childhood and what she taught you about Muslims when you were growing up? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, Obviously, my grandfather's story and how he died at the hands of Muslim terrorists is a very unusual story. And Mm -hmm. it's actually a story that I did not hear about till I was maybe um, like a young teenager. Maybe I was like 12 or 13 years old. All Mm -hmm. I knew was that I didn't have a grandfather. So I had a, a loving grandma who was a prayer warrior. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a mom who was also a prayer warrior. So I grew up with that Christian heritage. Um, but, but my mom and of course my grandma, they lived in Mindanao. They grew up in Mindanao and, you know, and they didn't have, um, a male figure, uh, in their household. So when my mom finally told me the story of how he died, you know, it was shocking. And I said, oh, then those Muslims must be bad. You know, those Muslims who live in Mindanao, where you, where you grew up, mom, because I did not grow up, by the way, in Mindanao. I grew up in the north. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Manila, which is the capital of the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So it's very modernized, you know, very much Christianized. So everything that was happening in Mindanao you know, especially back in the 1930s, the terrorism that was happening there, I was clueless. I did not know anything. Mm -hmm. But when my mom told me the story, my first reaction was, well, then we can't trust those Muslims. You know, they must be all bad. Thank God we live here in Manila where it's safe and we don't Mm -hmm. live down in the South. And my mom was very quick to tell me, no, 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 no. Not all Muslims are bad. Just because my dad was murdered by Muslim terrorists, and that's when I first heard about that word, you know, terrorism, the vast majority, like 99%, 99.5% 
of Muslims are good. They are good people. And so we are, you know, based on Christ's teachings, we are to forgive the terrorists, those handful of Muslims who murdered, you know, your grandfather. And we are to pray for them, you know. And my grandmother, you know, that was her husband who was murdered. And yet she did not hold any bitterness. She did not raise me to have hatred in my heart mm-hmm. towards Muslims. If anything, I think even at that young age, um, God was using my grandmother and my mother to put in my heart just a compassion for Muslims mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and the need for them to find salvation. Amen. So can you tell us a little bit more about your own journey, uh, how you came eventually to the U.S., how you became a follower of Jesus, and what your life was like uh, for many years before you decided to start a school? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I know that we're going to have a chance to talk about the school, which God which God made it very clear <laughs> that I was to build a school for Christians and Muslims in Mindanao. Um, but mm-hmm. before I get to that, uh, yeah, my journey from the Philippines to the U.S., you know, uh, there's not much to that story <laughs> except that uh, my dad felt that going to the United States would afford me a better quality of life. I went to George Washington University, which is in Washington, D.C. It's a, it's a great school for business. So I came here, like many kids from like less developed countries. We, we look at the U.S. as like, you know, the land of promise, right? The land of the free. <laughs> I don't know if that's the same now, nowadays, but. You know, back in the 1980s, that was when I came here to the U.S. And I was very excited. I went to college, like I said, at GW. I met my future husband very quickly. And um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, my future husband, um, he actually was a born-again Christian, you know, a follower of Jesus. I thought I was, but I was raised Catholic. So mm-hmm. even though, like I said, my grandma, my mom, we would pray, but we would pray the rosary, you know, we would pray Catholic prayers. I would go to Catholic mass. And so even the religion was always a part of my life. It wasn't until I met my husband uh, that I fully gave my life to Jesus. And um, yeah, so... Just to make a long story short, unfortunately, that first marriage would not last. <laughs> I did okay. go through a divorce. I, I married very young. I married at 20 years old. And, um, you mm. know, we had three kids. And so, um, you know, it just didn't work out. You know, this is a different story for another podcast, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But um, he actually turned out to be abusive. So um, I felt I had no choice. So I was a single mom. I was a single mom with three kids for a while. But again, you know, 
I never, I, I never lost that thought in my head that someday I was going to go back to the Philippines. You know, I think mm-hmm. the Lord was already working in my heart to become a full-time missionary. Mm-hmm. And so when I met my second husband, you know, my husband whom I am married to now, that was the first thing I told him when we were just dating. I said, look, <laughs> um, I really like you. Yeah, I, I can see how, you know, God brought you to me, you know, because uh, he's such a wonderful man and he brought a, he- a lot of healing into my life. But I said, you know, someday I'm going to go to the Philippines and I think I'm going to build a school there and become a full-time missionary. So if you are not in line with that, (laughs) if you've got other Mm -hmm. plans for us, maybe (laughs) this relationship is not going to (laughs) work. And, uh, you know, I'll always remember what he said. He said, well, Pia... We will cross that bridge when we get there. (laughs) (laughs) So fast forward. Now we've been married. By this time, we were married, I think, 12 years. And my mother, again, who is still living in Mindanao, in that island with all those Muslims, um, she died. She died in 2016. So we went home. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, uh, we tied all the loose ends for my mother. And uh, turns out she left this beautiful piece of land where she had grown up. And uh, it was right by the ocean. And she left it to me and my siblings. And as I stood there looking out at the ocean, the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord said, this is the land. This is the land where you're going to build that school. And this is the time. And so I went to my husband and I said, remember you said that we would cross (laughs) that bridge? Well, the bridge is there. (laughs) Are we ready to do this? So, Yeah. um, yeah, so within two Two, three years, I was already making plans to retire. I, I was a full-time uh, high school teacher for 23 years. And uh, I finally retired in 2021 because COVID, <laughs> COVID hit. And I also was not happy having to teach through Zoom. So I told my husband, okay, this is it. Uh, I am mm-hmm. ready for a change. I am ready to bring my knowledge of uh, education because by 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 now I I have my master's in school administration. Mm-hmm. So I I told him, look, I think I think I have all the equipment. You know, God has equipped me with what I need to start the school. And um, let's do this. So, yeah. yeah so, so that's, P- that's how we started the school. Yeah. And if you could backtrack a little bit, Pia, and just t- tell us how God, uh, what God used specifically to give you a heart for Muslims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
I already uh, mentioned earlier, you know, my grandma, my mom, even as a young mm-hmm. girl, you know, telling me about the Muslims. And they even said, you know, you are actually, there's a tiny, <laughs> tiny piece of you that's, that's Muslim, you know, that's Malay. You know, you are part of the proud Malay race. So these are our people. And, you know, that, that was hard for me to wrap my brain around because, again, I grew up in a very urban, you know, uh, part of the Philippines. You know, I grew up in Manila. And then I went to Washington, D.C. for college and then eventually moved to California. So pretty much my entire adult life, I grew up very Western, very, um, you know, very much among Christians. So the idea of serving Muslims was not really at the forefront for me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, coincidentally, or, or not, because of course, with God, there are no coincidences. In 2016, when my mother died, that was also the time that my husband and I, my, my second husband, um, that's when we moved churches. So we became mm-hmm. part of a church here in Los Angeles that was very missional. They were very missions-minded, and they, they really had a huge heart for Muslims. And Rashida, if you recall, 2015, 2016, that was when the whole Syrian refugee crisis was happening. Hmm. over in the Middle East and in Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So you had all these Muslim families leaving Syria, leaving Afghanistan, going to Greece, going to uh, Turkey, going to Germany in order to, you know, find hope because um, ISIS had really done a number on their countries. So it was also during this time that we were part of this church. We actually enrolled in one of their schools. It's called the um, Discipleship School, which was kind of like a, a missionary training school. And at the end of our training, um, we were sent to Turkey, my husband and I. Oh, wow. So I think that really was a game changer for me. Like I said, my mother dying, leaving us this piece of land and God speaking to me and saying, this is the land where you're going to build that school for Christians and Muslims. And then, yeah, going to Turkey and reaching out to these um, Syrian refugees and knowing how to interact with Muslims, learning how to kind of be in their shoes and having a love for them. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was all God. That was all, you know, the Lord's doing in preparation. So when, you know, so I'm going to fast forward. I think it was during COVID, you know, 2020. I came across uh, a friend of mine. His name is Dan. I believe you know who Dan is. Dan Torres. Um, He's from Crescent Project. And he told me, hey, you know, if you have a love for Muslims, 
Um, I need to tell you about this organization called Crescent Project, and it was started by a man named Fawad. And so I, you know, I joined the, um, is it the embassy program? Mm -hmm. You know, I started getting to meet people, you know, online, online, like Miel, Mm -hmm. who is now a very good friend of mine. She's Filipino and Mm -hmm. she's also, she also has a heart for the Muslims in Mindanao. I went to uh, Sahara Challenge, I think twice. Um, I joined Mills uh, Bridges Study, and I also joined um, these monthly team meetings that was um, sponsored by, I, I believe, one of the Crescent Project Associates. Her name is uh, Jamie Staples, I think, mm-hmm. and I think it's called the Truth Collective. So, yeah. you know... It really helped me having all these resources, having all these people who had or and continue to have such a heart for Muslims. You know, it was very inspirational, very eye opening. Um, I had never really dug deep into what the Quran said about Jesus, you know, um, about the Injil, about their view really of of Jesus and Christianity. So I think all all of the experiences I've been having, you know, really since 2016 has prepared me, you know, for this big venture of, you know, starting a school, operating a school right in the heart of Mindanao, you know, where where it all started, you know, where my grandmother and my mother first put that love for for Muslims inside of me. Hmm. Amen. This has been great. Uh, Thank you so much for all that you've shared so far in part one. In part two, we will get to hear more about the school, why there's a need for a school like this in that particular place, and what you're seeing God do already. But for now, I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for for Pia and her journey. And thank you for everyone who is listening to this podcast, Lord. I pray that you would use her story of being an ordinary Christian um, with a vision and a dream from God, that you would inspire many to know that, that we can all be used by you, Lord, that you have dreams for all of us. You have things that you want us to do, uh, big things, but also little things that just involve loving and praying and serving and sharing truth and love. And uh, Lord, um, I just, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Rashida. Thank you for listening to Crescent Project Radio. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. Learn more about Crescent Project online at crescentproject.org where you can find all of our previous podcasts featuring testimonies from former Muslims, teaching and apologetics, interviews with ministry leaders and book authors, along with commentary on current events and ministry news. Email us your comments or questions to radio at crescentproject.org. Stay connected by subscribing to our bi-monthly email, Call to Prayer, which is focused on prayer for the Muslim world. 
We hope you'll join us again next time on Crescent Project Radio.